You're listening to the Forest School podcast with Lewis Ames and Gemma Sutherden. Hi guys, uh, welcome to the podcast. So I'm sat here now recording an intro for this episode and uh, I'm struck by two facts. One is that we're mostly talking about two uh, different resources here, a TV show and a PDF. So both of those are linked in the show notes. Uh, the second one is that I was sat here and I was fully intending to listen to the episode and give some pinpoints about where we talked about different topics. But uh, just before we sat down to record this, uh, when you're hearing the episode, we just put up some bird feeders and some fat balls. Um, and to be quite honest, this is possibly one of the most disjointed and nature interrupted episodes we've done in a very long time. So uh, just give it a listen. Uh, it's all about woodland management. Um, but I'm not really able to say where we talk about different things because we're jumping all over the place, just like the squirrels that are running around us. So hope everybody has a good Christmas and we will see you all in the new year. Cheers. Bye. I don't think I know what a truffle is. I mean, every time someone offers me a truffle, then I eat the truffle. I'm always like, Oh, that's a truffle. That you don't remember? Like, are some truffles soft inside and some truffles mm. are yep. not? I think it depends if you're eating it outdoors in a wood. Oh, right, okay. If you're eating it next to a crackling Christmas fire, it's probably quite soft inside. I don't want another one. That, you know, you said you couldn't eat much of that wicked Yule log. And that's what I feel like. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm absolutely done. You five minutes and you'll be like, oh. I don't like chocolate with dust on it. <laughs> so picky. It's because I'm a child. Such a picky eater. Dusted chocolate is like, oh, I'm a grown-up. Whereas other chocolate is like, get the chocolate in. Porridges can dust their chocolates with all kinds of magical stuff including the uh, magical pollen that comes out of pine flowers collect i've seen a video of someone collecting all of that amazing yeah. dust and uh rolling chocolate truffles in it <clears throat> yeah i'm feeling slightly like mellowed out because we've just been in sat for yeah. 20 minutes communed, on our own. Communed with the wildlife. Well, I had to keep reminding myself that I was supposed to be doing some reading. Same. We both went off to do the reading. And then <laughs> I kept going, because I was sat still, the squirrels were becoming quite like... I went and sat in the big tree house. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. But I sat back facing up the hill. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, was, I, feel quite lo- I feel quite low ebb. Not low ebb as in like sad, low ebb as in just like I'm very. I feel like I found the woods again. I don't think that might sound a weird thing to say, but I suddenly reading about woodland management and then sitting in the woods with it, particularly sort of down there, not in this built up bit with the cabin and the, you know, toilets and all this stuff. Like I suddenly, I think, looked at it again with the same viewpoint I did when I was looking at before I bought the woods when I, or just after I bought it. And I was like, this is, I've, this is mine. I've got stuff to do here. I've got care to do here. And like, I think maybe I have been having this thought for a while about like, 
I don't know. But, um, I know what you mean, though. I think it, um, for me, it like, ebbs and flows if you've got, like, your group at one end. Yeah. Really focusing on, like, individuals within a group that you might be working with. Yeah. And then, like, the woods at the other end. And obviously, they are completely enmeshed, especially for groups who've been here for a long time. If you've yeah, been yeah, yeah, yeah. working in that place for a long time and you're quite connected to the land, but then sometimes you're very fixated on, like, the human world and the human yes. needs. And, like, oh, they need paint. I must remember to buy paint or whatever, or mm. I'm cooking. That swing needs fixing. Yeah, or whatever. Mm. And then you can go really the other end and go, right, our actions have caused this, or the woods needs this, the birds need this. Yes, I was trying to think about whether you can... So um, we're going to talk about, like, w- winterizing for wildlife and, and things we're doing and whatever else. But we've um, been watching... The Wild Gardener. Yes. Both of us have been watching it on BBC. Put me onto it. It's on BBC. Um, put you onto it. Yes. Lovely. Uh, and we'll talk more about it. But but he, the, the bloke in this, um, spends a lot of time sitting in hammocks or sitting out on a little porch out for his wooden cabin and looking at the wildlife and doing all this. Um, and I was trying to get into my head about that. There's a question that's something like, can or do you enjoy a woodland in the same way if you ha- if there are children there whether those children are your own or not is like two questions so like can you enjoy a woodland in the same way with your own children do you need to be on your own to enjoy it in certain ways Ooh, that's a good question okay i'm not gonna can, I, can yeah. I say that i definitely think there is something about just being by yourself um and that not being about whether the other person is a child or anything. Okay, about, yeah. Because, for me anyway, my brain is so taken up with, again, like, what are they thinking? Social stuff. What are they thinking? What are they expecting me to do now? What are we talking about? Oh, I better talk. And that I don't have that much brain space left. But increasingly, I am, my brain is divided uh, between the human world and the natural world. So I'll be walking with somebody who maybe doesn't know. <laughs> and I go, oh, my God, I remember i seen that bird. i seen that. Oh, it's a caterpillar. Oh, look at this. Oh, listen to that. Um, but but then if you're in a woodland with children, like the amount of times that kids have pointed stuff out to me mm. because they are at a different height and their eyes are oh, different. Yeah, yeah. And so they're close to the ground, so they see more mushrooms or they're, you know, halfway up a tree more often. Mm. So find that, like, that amazing caterpillar they found the other day, that really neon one. Um, oh, yeah. I forgot what that was now. But um, I think they can, as well as, you know, obviously running around and making a lot of noise, they can also be a bridge to the natural world, which is also what they say about dogs, about dogs being like a a bridge to help humans go into the natural world, which is definitely Mm. true, I think. Interesting. Yeah. They hold out their paw, say, come with me to the world of animals, which is from Jay Griffiths book why rebel which is so good just read it um sorry you want to train and i derailed that train no 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 podcast over we've been derailed never again um yeah i was just sorry i'm not sorry no cool let go let go of that solstice is that what you want to let go go of saying sorry for no reason take my space this is my space. And people listening can have mine, which is a mine and my wife's, which is like an ongoing project to my wife to not just go, um, that's all right. 
when in situations when because there are loads of other things you can say if it is genuinely all right then it is all right what if someone like does something to you yeah if someone does it or someone you know you've, you know someone who's like i don't know I can't think of a good example now, but situations where like, say someone else walks into you and you say, sorry, or like, yeah, yeah. you know, and you want to be like, oh, that, that, that's all right. Out of like nicety of like, that's, that's not, you know, um, and just, you, can you just be like, oh, okay. Or like, oh, thank you. Or like, trying, because it's sometimes a, a slippery slope to permissive behavior. Yeah. I think anyway, that's, that's by the by what I was going to talk about was, um, like appreciating woodland and woodland management, and so this thing on BBC, the garden, the wild gardener, and he's there on his own lots, and he has this like his very nature connection. It's very talking about his childhood. So what I picked up on was that he's talking a lot about his childhood, and the VT, the like video that they put alongside it, is of a single child walking along, and he when he's talking about it, doesn't mention any other children. Um, so I'm inferring that he was on his own. Mm-hmm. And then he talks about now he's an adult and he goes here on his own and he's peaceful and he watches the wildlife and he does all these things. And like, I'm just trying to work. I'm just, there's questions in my head about like how being with other people changes your nature connection and whether, um, as forest school leaders, whether we spend enough time independently in our woods. What There's are a you wren in the shelter. There's a, wren, a little wren. wren running along the, the coat hooks. Ah, Sorry. Yes, whether we spend enough time there. So and whether that, like yeah. part of our, our reflective practice is like, I need to go here on my own for half an hour. I need to, even if you're with other, even other people are there to be like, oh, okay, just before we do some woodland management, I need to go sit and, and well, not that's be why it's good. It's topical, being... right? It's topical, this, right. this edition of the podcast, because what we talk about, like, you know, most people are going to have some kind of a break over the Christmas period. Mm-hmm. I know some people are running holiday clubs or whatnot, um, but it could offer a potential time to go into your site by yourself or with a couple of other people to do some woodland management or just to be and just mm-hmm. to notice and observe and take some time out um, and see if you need to like review any woodland management plans or any kind of impact assessments need redoing, um, have a look at like compaction of the soil and things like that. Yeah. I was reading, I think I've talked about this. I was saying something the other day about like, uh, summer is when you put in your, your management and winter is when you see its impact. Um, uh, but also like it, it, that change of like, having no foliage or less foliage changes your views on things you see um so we've also been reading um what do you have the document name it's like yes it, get give it, it its official title well and also i feel quite cheeky because i'm going to tell everyone that you can find it for free on the internet but you can also find it for sale on the internet but it is on a it's a, as a pdf and it's called managing your woodland for wildlife and it's actually published through uh, woodlands.co.uk oh right commissioned by uh, so it's by david blakesley and peter buckley but it was commissioned by woodlands.co.uk um and sponsored by them mm-hmm. 
so that's what it is um and it's got a bit about history about different woodland types and woodland origins in britain and um stuff about plants insects birds mammals reptiles fungi lichen and things like that and then it goes into silvicultural systems it is it is a phenomenal resource I think it should be a must read on everybody's level three. However, I've got a caveat to that. Oh, yeah. Where I would, I, I'm certain that you would read it and go, oh, okay, cool. So this is good practice and I should always do this. Yeah. And I can guarantee you'll find another book going, mm. never do this or only do this in this circumstance. And that there are many conflicting points of view about yeah. certain management decisions. Um, and the book is quite balanced in the way that it uh, talks about, like, it might be a good idea to do this. How it might not be assessed. Did you get to the bit about, um, yeah, planting uh, woodland shade plants? Mm-hmm. And so it talks, mm. so it's a, it's a really good, like, if you have a woodland that you are using for your forest school, um, it kind of walks you, holds your hand and walks you through. Yeah, that's like, a good way to Looking at it and going, okay, what's already here? What's the origins of it? And then how how can I promote biodiversity within that and which sort of decisions are best for me? So it's not a one size fits all thing. At no, all. no, no. I think I think maybe I meant it in terms of like it's quite comprehensive Ooh. and it's quite far ranging. Yeah. Um, and it's quite short. And it's quite short. Yeah. So if you've got no background in, um, and I, I imagine most people who do their level three course, don't have a background in woodland management. They might have an interest in woodland, but not necessarily, um, you know, or even just to give you some ideas to talk to whoever does do your woodland management. Um, yes. Because that is a big thing, that, isn't it? position that a lot of people are in, yeah. that they go, well, yeah. And that stumps a lot of people, I think, when they're writing their portfolio for their, if they're doing their level three, mm. and they go, well, you know, I'm expected to write a woodland management plan. Well, I'm nothing to do with that. You know, I just get to visit yeah. here. and I work but, in the nursery. We come visit the site. Yeah. It's owned by a local farmer. Yeah, exactly. Um, whatever but else. The point is that if you use that site, you may well begin to know and learn a lot more about woodland management than the people who are actually responsible for managing it mm. so in whatever way you can to influence any decisions that are made um and input into that and writing your woodland management plans as if you are responsible could be a huge difference yeah for the wildlife that that use that that site so and and so i have been oh it sounds very grandiose to say i've been managing this woodland now for for nearly six years um but I have, I suppose, um, uh, we have, and, um, I learned from this book, I had never heard the term veteran tree and their, yeah. and their specific description of it. So I had seen, and I had acknowledged veteran trees and I knew, I knew what they were, but I'd never heard the term and right. actually suddenly hearing them described as veteran trees and why they're veteran trees. Mm. Um, so veteran trees are those ones which are dead or, or da- have damaged limbs and they are providing regular dead wood. And it was kind of about saying some people use it to describe trees of a certain age. But actually in this book, they're talking about just any, it could be a tree that's 15 years old. If it's got a dead limb, it's in the process of being a veteran tree. Therefore, you manage it. And it's like managing that slow process down of decay like the sweet in, chestnut that we've so got over that there. is exactly yeah. where my brain went so and... it's not that so it's a difference between a veteran tree and an ancient tree so mm. an ancient tree you know often looking quite similar in the fact they look really like gnarly, gnarly and yeah, yeah. and 
like haggard and that's that our human instinct might be oh that's dead got to cut that down or mm. get rid of that dead limb or tidy that up and that's our kind of instinct to go oh that's not blossoming it's not blooming and flourishing and all lovely yeah. and green and fresh so therefore it's my job as a human to take a chainsaw to it um but don't do that <laughs> that is the worst but yeah like through natural you know it might have had a limb blown sort of half off yeah. in a storm or whatever and yeah and the habitat that it that it creates. So it did make me think about pollarding that because it's talking about mm-hmm. letting it grow and pollarding and then letting it grow and pollarding and, and, and that being a natural way for it to go down. And I was like, oh, that's what we're supposed to do with that tree. And I, that tree's been here for since I bought the woods. And other than climbing on it, yeah. I've not really known what to do with it or whether it's, it's kind going. of doing it itself, right? Because it's got the um the shoots coming up from the base. So mm-hmm. it's still alive. Yeah, yeah. So it is yeah. It's that top bit, I guess, and not letting it. I guess part of it is knowing that that tree is not structurally sound. Mm-hmm. Like it is structurally sound, but its potential for growth can outweigh its structural potential now. Mm-hmm. So if we don't pollard that, will the top bit get so heavy that a very yes. healthy stump yeah. that might decay slowly over mm-hmm. 15, 20 years, if we let the top get too big, pulls itself down to the ground, mm-hmm. the whole thing's done. And it's like, that thing of like yeah just sort of feeling that process that like actually the the we think quite a lot about woodland management as being the up the growth the 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 in and actually we can be involved in cushioning and helping that and yeah. and prolonging that down and and you and I were talking the other day about um uh, you sent me a picture of uh ring barking mm. and we were talking about do you yeah. want to like yeah yeah um so it's a wooden management team that i follow on instagram and they were using traditional tools to deliberately ring bark some trees in a very thick canopy so that you're creating standing deadwood do you want to expect people might so ring bark ring yeah bark. so scraping deliberately cutting through all the bark in a ring all the way around the tree so that then that bark all those xylem and phloem and uh, the cambium mm. in that tree can't function correctly mm. so therefore they can't be used for the transportation of nutrients and sugars like they should be mm-hmm. so the tree slowly dies mm. um and then the idea is that you yeah you leave it there standing deadwood and that deadwood is as valuable as mm. live wood mm. um for so many species oh, yeah and then also and then the fact that it's dead but still there means it's got no leaves so the canopy is going to open up so more light's going to hit the forest floor but you haven't destroyed the habitat of a lot of insects and other and fungi that'll kind yeah. of slowly decay the wood and create more habitat for insects and and that is something that i think we should do i think we do we talked about the weighing up the risks of standing deadwood then becoming a hazard yes so obviously the, the you know the day you do it that tree is still as sturdy as it was but particularly for us we've got 40 50 foot trees most of them um so not me not being and us not being experts wouldn't necessarily be able to judge when has that tree stopped being structurally sound and now needs to come down um and actually i'd be interested to know if there's some sort of like i feel like if you're like a tree whisperer you'd be able to like knock on it and be like "Mm, not hollow enough yet she's she's still sturdy and will stand in the wind but um for us, I think it, it's, yeah. it's going to be Our an interesting... Our tree surgeon is good. Like, we've got a yeah. standing oak that's dead um, just by the shelter. And so it is 
in an area of kind of high footfall, but it's quite small. And um, and we, whenever he comes, he checks in on it, doesn't he? Yeah. And he's like, no, that's fine. That's all right. Oh, and if you just are yeah. deliberately killing trees next to a path or next to a treehouse that's used all the time, then yeah. obviously that's like a, a risk assessment that you've got to do. I was going to say, if you have a local tree surgeon or tree surgery company, um, I, I mean, this may just be a, a most... The tree surgeons I've spoke to are so excited and enthusiastic about the uh, the the opportunity to do this type of management as opposed to i and as i understand it a lot of their work is like can you take this tree out of my garden can you take the this tree off the side you've or just got to free work. up the yeah. branches from can you just around the power lines? log it get it out of the way mm. um and so actually being able to practice some of the different cuts some of the different you know he's, he's as part as much a part of the team mm. when it comes to this stuff as you and i are and it's like amazing to you never know who will be involved in that who will go oh, i'm really excited about these ideas yeah and if, you, if you're working on a school site if you can get somebody and you've got like proper trees mm. you can get somebody who isn't like from the council health and safety department and yeah. is actually an independent mm. tree specialist um because i know people who've been told so i visited a site and i was like oh saw the children all like climbing all over this amazing ash tree and she was like yeah it's going to be not there next week like the entire thing is going to be cut down to the ground risk assessments blah blah it's like, I, I do get it but if you can only get a second opinion and they can go oh well yeah you can cut it but cut it to here so you've still yeah. got like the stump whereas the council are not thinking like that because they just want it to be quick and safe and Efficient. cheap yeah. yeah 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 um i suppose it's worth talking about then so a big feature of this textbook a uh, textbook this pdf and of the tv show uh is the pond is the pond and the introduction of water yeah um oh a woodpecker a oh yeah just landed sorry wow. people we... have missed this because we've been on our computers talking professionally about stuff but there is a squirrel oh, creeper. oh my god um the parent and toddlers made bird feeders today and so there's a lot of seed like sunflower hearts lying around everywhere and we've refilled the big mm. bird feeders and there's just a party going on it's like literally the christmas party mm. <laughs> a lot of marsh tit or willow tit i haven't worked out which one yet uh yeah ponds, ponds. yeah so i wanted to make a pond for ages and i said to you let's make a pond probably about two and a half years ago or something yep. and then this year we managed to make a small pond um the kids kind of did help a bit but it was one of those things where you're like oh the kids will help oh it's actually really tricky there's some kind of some things that has to be has to be done like this yeah. um so they did start a bit of the digging and did it sporadically but then you just did it didn't you in the end and bought the liner and everything but they but you know they helped with the bits that they could help with yeah. so they helped with the liner they helped with the rocks they helped with the you know, um, and I think actually, Eve, I think it was valuable for them to have a go at it, yeah. even if it's then to appreciate when they then see the pot and they come back and I've dug the pond while they've not been there to go, whew, that saved us a job. Like now we get to do the fun bit, you know. Um, yeah. So it's a small pond, but um, we were just saying this this morning that like, I think it's small because we needed a like, we needed a win. Like, 
We just needed there to be a pond. Having that's the first step about a yeah. pond, and then they're like, okay, cool. So today the pond will finish. It's like no, <laughs> in about two months the pond will be finished at this rate. But yeah. yes, it needed to be done, and it might not be exactly in the right place. Um, or the right size and the right depth and all that kind of thing, but it is there and it is at the very least a watering hole for various mammals yeah. and birds. But um, and yeah, we had a sad time where there was obviously not much rain for a while, and we had a drowned mouse and a drowned wren in like saucepans that have collected water from the mud kitchen. Mm, and it's so like, oh, desperate. No, for... That's not good. Yeah, there needs to be permanent open water. Um, yeah and just I mean so the pond is a big part of this the wild gardener um, program and talking about I, he didn't say this explicitly but I was reading through the lines let's say of what he was hearing of like if you imagine um, I know we're taught we're now moving away from ecosystems being a pyramid Right. And we're thinking more of them being spheres and things like this. But for a second, imagine a pyramid, um, at least in terms of quantity. And people think about they want there to be songbirds. They want there to be owls, foxes, um, these kinds of things, maybe frogs and toads. Um, and actually thinking about, OK, so what are the needs of those animals? Uh, OK, it's food, predominantly food sources and habitats. Okay, well, are you putting those in? And it's like, well, actually, how many people think about when they think about songbirds, you don't immediately go to a pond, but without the pond, you don't have the insects, which means you don't you don't have the flowers, which means you don't have the insects, which means you don't have the food source for the songbirds. Um, and that kind of struck me that maybe when I've been thinking about woodland management before, I've been thinking of that bigger scale. How can I help the crow crows how can i help the foxes and not necessarily just going down the down the pyramid and going do you know what if i can get like the soil and the flowering plants right that will trip that will scale up into um you know healthy insect yeah. life and then that will scale up into sorry the squirrels <laughs> chasing each other around the bit go go <laughs> Um, if you can hear the footsteps. Yeah, and um, I was reading about in, in the book about it saying um, how, again, you know, you picture a pond as a human and you go, oh, garden pond, and it's all like beautiful and like lovely planting mm -hmm. around the outside. And yeah, like I would imagine not a rectangle with paving slabs around it, but, you know, something very flowing and natural inverted commas. Um, whereas actually a woodland pond can be a dank mangy looking <laughs> kind of shaded dark thing full of leaves and full of like branches that have fallen in there and that's fine that's mm. absolutely fine that is like a specialized habitat of um with rotting wood inside the water with the leaf litter in there that's fine um and that it, uh, it was saying in the, in the thing about introducing a little bit more light obviously is gonna uh, widen the variety of species mm -hmm. of plant mm. that might grow next to it or whatever but there is also a it is a niche to have a shaded thing and that will attract its own creatures especially invertebrates so you don't have to make it you know you don't have to set yourself at this huge goal of like well, i must manage it and scrape out all the leaves and stuff it's like just no just leave it alone yeah and that was the overriding kind of sense of that i got from watching the program and reading the thing it's just like 
leave it the heck alone actually that instinct that squirrel's got... having that fat ball yeah, is absolutely <laughs> devouring it oh lovely thanks look how chubby it is oh goodness that is a chubby squirrel um yeah so um yeah you don't have to be standing in waders judging out all the dead leaves and stuff yeah i think that is and that is probably you know similar to saying that people listening to this might not are probably not the person that does their woodland management. They are also probably in a situation where whoever, uh, you know, you may not be the, I don't want to say the top person. You may not be like the final decision maker on a lot of things. If you're a teacher in a school or if you're a, um, you know, you work in a nursery or whatever, there'll be people who can approve or disapprove of your actions. And with that comes like a degree of the site needs to look pretty especially if you're in a position where like he's gone oh, chewed through the jute string and just eating whole pine cone covered in seeds thanks lovely you're welcome mate um that balance or that like struggle between you know you and a, you know i've just said a shaded pond full of leaves and bracken is a useful habitat but equally someone might go right but prospective parents come round and that looks a tip or you know like a lot of this stuff is and that I think I did kind of find slightly um if I had a criticism of the tv show so far there's only been two episodes I've only watched two episodes I think there's four out and maybe there's going to be some more in the future but um this guy is his dad is a was a tv gardener and his dad was very much of that like 70s garden neat you know got um shrubs in nice ornamental places and all this stuff and he's saying that he's going the other way and nature is messy and doing all this stuff and he's sat in what can only be described as an absolutely gorgeous meadow of wildflowers um in a sort of deck chair or in a hammock and going you know some people might think this this place is a mess and i want to be like no one thinks that's a mess right that's not what I know. I... i'm in so i'm he's in year two now so i'm on the third episode mm. and he's cut all of the meadow but he did admit in the previous episode that the meadow isn't all native plants that he's planted a lot of non-native stuff just because it is good ground cover and it is good um pollen and nectar for right. insects um at that time because it gives you know, it, it won't be instant mm -hmm. going with all the you know proper native species. Yeah, and it'd be like interesting to see in year two what that looks like and whether it is a bit more yeah scraggly. Well, I think that's the thing. And you and I have talked about before this this secret the secret code guys is is fucking labels or signs, right? If you've got mm. a shit tip, put a sign next to it that says like junk modelling or like um you know wood for tinkering, and suddenly a pile of crap. And look like oh that's an inviting resource Ofsted outstanding yeah Gemma is just staring off into the distance it's a gold crest I think can you see oh yeah really tiny um but yeah so that is one of the other things about woodland management is like managing for aesthetics um and whether we should or shouldn't do that and what the balance is there um you know there's certain things you might need to compromise on. There's certain things you do or don't know. You know, can you find little pockets where you go, okay, this area is the main area or this is the area that you can see from the mobile classroom that they put up 
two years, you know, 15 years ago, they said it was going to be there for six months, but now the mobile classroom is there forever. So you can see this bit and that's the bit that's going to look like pretty and where the fire pit is. But if you go around this corner, it's going to be crap city and, you know, actual nice habitat and wild and, and all those things. Can we talk about Bramble and Bracken? Yes, let's talk about Bramble and Bracken. Because that's the thing that we have in spades and um i feel that like... sounds like um kate moss is like new children bramble. hello these are my children bramble and bracken dog names oh yeah could that be what dogs are Bram- bramble and bracken what breed um the brown ones <laughs> <laughs> the, oh yeah with the brown eyes with tails yeah. oh yeah four legs most of them ears. yeah they've got ears haven't they so, yeah they're just ears oh yeah, yeah. on um, the sides yeah. <laughs> That's the one. Hectic. Quite hectic. Just quite hectic the whole time. Um, yeah. So you can say both of these things are true. You can say really invasive, really just get flipping everywhere, like mm. brambles uh, spread by all of the creatures that eat the berries and poop out the seeds. And so they can get blinking everywhere. And, and domineering. Yeah. Just shade out, over. shade out everything else. So stop any other kind of more interesting, rarer woodland plants, native, yep. native herbs. Um, same with bracken. Like it's got a rhizome that goes under the ground. Oh, yeah. Stores air. like a shit ton of carb- carbs. Yeah. So that even when you cut the top off, it's like, which is, that's my plan, right? Is basically, if anybody if anybody tried to cut my top off, I've got so many carbs in the middle. I'm coming back, yeah, fuckers. Fine. <laughs> fine. Um, you know, bracken harboring ticks from deer, yeah. which is going to give all your groups Lyme's disease. That is, all of those things are true. Also true, amazing Jam. ground cover. Jam. <laughs> Amazing food sources, amazing nectar sources, like support. I was just reading Bramble supporting 61 species of moth alone, you know, which need that Bramble in its life cycle. Um, You know, yeah, hiding places, habitat for loads of ground dwelling mammals and Mm. wrens and robins and other rarer songbirds. A life lesson about scratchy things, A, a chance for forest school leaders to be a pedant about Actually, you haven't been stung. You've been scratched because they're not stinging nettles. They're brambles. Please don't call them stinging nettles. This is true. Natural fire lighting, bracken, yeah. amazing. Learning about like how if you pick it in the wrong way, it's like a cheese wire and it's going to really cut your hand. You know, so yeah. weigh up those two true mm. points of view. And so what we're doing this year is, well, we've always like, the other thing is to say is about deer browsing. So yeah. You can tell if you've got deer, obviously by the poop, but if your brambles aren't out of control, mm. then you've got deer browsing on them. And ours are not too, like they're everywhere, but they're not very high. You know, sometimes you see in like, again, yeah, I went yeah. to another forest school site on a school site, but it was fenced off, a fenced off bit of the main school field and it hadn't been sort of used for quite a few years. And mm. the brambles there were taller than me just huge it can go, can't thick it? It can like go. you know and none of our stuff is like that it's all just sort of you know the highest i really just ass- i just assumed that was to do with us not having a structure for it to go on like whenever i've seen really tall brambles it's always been against a, a wire you know there's a wire fence in there somewhere or there's a car in there somewhere like the dead hedging over there where it's kind of yeah there's a bit like ivy like yeah. i i don't really think about brambles like no, reaching that high on their own like almost make their own structure you know they're, they're really really fat 
uncut. Kind yes, of because cool. now I have a memory of uh, Oren coming to a Southwest FSA thing, mm-hmm. and he was advocating for bramble whistles or bramble flutes. So he had found bramble that was two inches, you know, an inch, two inches across. And he was saying, look, if you just kind of sned it, then actually this is an incredible wood and we should be using it. And he was advocating for this kind of like, let it get a bit bigger because you can, or at least when you bash it, don't just bash it and take it out and burn it. Like, you know, there is a craft to be had. Baskets, woven bramble baskets, bramble they're baskets. lovely. You know. Yeah, but we're going for both. An we? area, in an area. So we, cleared, we found the sunniest bit of forest where some trees have fallen down, they've come to the end of their life and just gone. Um, and so we planted some hazel up the hill mm-hmm. and then bramble bashed down the hill. And we did that last year and bluebells yes. came up in the spring, yeah. which is amazing, just there the whole time, but just got completely shaded out by the brambles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so hoping if we keep doing it over a few years, then a bit more of variety will yeah. come down there. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. And then there's the, hello squirrel, there's a debate about whether you introduce, obviously native, native plants or not. And that, that was another interesting thing. And again, well put in the book to go, well, like, look at your site. And if it is ancient woodland, then don't flip in plant anything. Even so it's probably under the ground anyway. Don't, yeah. And it will, yeah, exactly. Um, and then there's a bit about, well, you know, if yours is a bit newer, but you've got ancient woodland nearby, have a look at what's already in the ancient woodland nearby. And that's what you should be planting and preferably like collecting some seeds respectfully mm. and like, which he does in the program. Yeah, in the he wild garden, to... he goes off to different sites and collects, collects them. Yellow rattle. And also collects um, oaks. Oh, no. Um, uh, witch elm, is it? Uh, he goes to like a big yes it is witch elm because he talks about dutch elm disease um so there's like a big witch elm that he's lives that lives near him um and um he's saying you know he saw it as a boy and he absolutely loves it um and it's like one of the few that survived dutch elm so he's there harvesting the seeds from this witch i think it's called witch elm um or he's just an elm tree no because I remember getting a bit, anyway, anyway. Um, so he's getting those, and from an oak tree that he played in as a boy, he goes and gets some of those acorns and puts them in. Um, and he's really feeling that thing of, you know, you and I have been doing bits of woodland management with the kids recently of like planting trees and actually realising um, through doing a bit of work with the children's forest, um, that power of imagining forward that like um but with a focus you know like sort of it's half we've done some stuff that's like half guided medica- medication <laughs> <laughs> forest school is just guided medication um guided meditation um uh but also sort of that thing of thinking forwards not just going oh yeah i put a tree in the ground and it'll get going right but what's that tree gonna see and how big is it gonna get and what habitat is it gonna need and produce you're just staring off in the middle i'm of so sorry it's very distracting so the marsh or willow tit has just been doing that thing we said and look it's looking for a drink and it's nearly fell into a saucepan in the mud kitchen so oh, don't I'm, I'm, if do right a bird bath that stays there and then that the kids don't like it doesn't exist but can it. i ask you a favor yeah. if a bird yeah. Don't tell you. If we can, no, if we can save it, let's save it. Yeah. 
But if you watch a bird die while we're doing a podcast, just don't mention it, right? Because okay. we're uh, it's not going to die. It flew off. It's fine. <laughs> but it was like, can I reach the water? No, I can't. Oh, okay, away. I see what you mean. Um, yes. So uh, I mean, clearing the bramble area down the bottom will be super useful and will provide us with a different space that we don't have right now, which is like, you know, is very close. I was interested to learn from this book of the, the term pause. Do you know our woodland is a pause? So go on, explain. So pause is an acronym that stands... I always get acronym and mnemonic confused. Um, is an acronym for plantation on ancient woodland site. Yes, I was looking... I was reading that and thinking, is that true? And so then I'm going to waffle on about old maps, listeners. Oh, did you get to look at the map? Ah! I saw it and I went... I'm not going to look at the map now because I'll get distracted. Have you looked at Oh, my God. I'm basically just, like, obsessed with old maps. Ah! It's too exciting. Um, Do you want to explain why you're talking about old maps, though? Because I talked sure. about woodlands and then you went, maps are great, aren't they? No, because I was like, is but is it an ancient woodland? Because yeah. we definitely know we've got sweet chestnut that is flipping old. They talk about having signs, though, don't they? They've got the list of signs in this PDF and then... Very goodly, uh, very goodly. Very goodly. Very goodly. Very goodly, my good man. It's, it says, um, but remember, one bluebell does not make an ancient woodland. Yes. And it talks about, like, you probably need a lot of these signs, one of which was talking about maps and stuff. Uh, well, I'd yes, I'd forgotten that bit, but I was just okay. checking the old map. So if you want to look at your site in the olden days, which, mm -hmm. of course, you do because it's the most fun that you can have ever, then you can look at maps.nls.uk, which is the National Library of Scotland, who have digitised all of the old OS maps. And you can, If you're in the UK. And you can zoom, yes. Uh, and then you can uh, select where you are and scroll through loads of different maps, and you can do it with a Google Maps overlay, so you can pinpoint exactly where you are, mm -hmm. and then it will show you, and the trees will be drawn on there if you get the right scale or not. And then you can also look at old tithe maps if you're tithe. tithe. Oh, this is like the church tax thing, right? Yeah, it's um land owning. Um, yeah, you own this much land and you're farming it, and so you own the the rates you owe to your landlord or whatever. Um, and so I was looking at for here. I was just checking in and going, hang on a minute. What yeah. is the deal in the map from eighteen thirty nine? Okay, well, that's it, not. What's it marked? Comparatively, that's not that long ago, but yeah. Yeah. So. In 1839, it is common land. It doesn't belong to anybody. It's like proper common land, which is cool. Um, and then on a 1906 map, half of our woodland, mm -hmm. your woodland, is marked as marshy moorland. So it's called Gaddon Down. Yes. So I thought that was that field down there. No, that's Gaddon Down Plantation. Okay. So that's the original plantation, which... The plantation has gone up the hill yes. and then yes. spread across to us. Yes. It was in that field as well. So more of that field was also... Yes, involved. I know it was that, yeah. But then the other half is mixed forest on in 1906. Okay. So down there. So it's hard to know whether it is definitely ancient, but we definitely know that we've got some old sweet chestnut. So it might, mm. you know, even at the least interesting, it would have been like pasture slash heathy slash yes. area with a few very old sweet chestnuts which had been coppiced yep. intentionally over a long period of time. So we've got some interesting trees, even if it isn't. Yes, do you remember how old the stumps are on the chestnut? Because I add hundreds I of years every time. We measured some lichen. 
me and a child and I think the lichen indicated that it that that, that particular um stem trunk. yeah stem what would you call it if it's all coming out of a stool one of the you know the uh, massive stool like, yeah. limb yeah I guess one it's of the shoots limb, yeah was um like 250 and so we looked at that and then looked at the size of the stool and made a guess about the stool probably being yeah 300 but hard to know very hmm. hard to age because they're going to be older than your average but they don't look as old because you get like a really old sweet chestnut and the bark goes all twisty yes all the way around yes. and ours don't do that because each actual stalk is much younger yes but the stools are massive and there's lots of stools well, that we, have that's been another thing. Cut down, aren't they? That's they? another thing we they're were talking massive. about. Yeah, there's some massive ones down there. But we were talking about, uh, you know, getting it, that thing of looking at, you know, there's some of these stools have got eight, nine trunks, mm-hmm. and going actually maybe is it t- is it right for us to take one or two so that the tree can keep cop- can yeah. keep growing, yeah. um, and that just see, I mean, that's part of the thing here isn't it at least for me is like when I think about 250 years of growth and me and a chainsaw for Mm -hmm. half an hour and I can't and I and I feel such a I don't know it's just an odd relationship isn't it to to have that power over another thing that lives so much longer than you um and so maybe that is also a part of the hesitancy which lets woodlands grow into a state where they're not safe and that's maybe where just not like um varied so in the book yes. it talks about like having a really mixed like obviously if it's ancient woodland it's ancient woodland that's fine yeah. but if it's um pause pause so what is that it's plantation on, on an ancient woodland. ancient woodland site so yeah. then you've got like the potential for that plantation to just grow and for most of your trees to be like the same age same yeah. height same girth everything's just the same because that's the efficient way to do plantation is to go all these all grow then we'll cut them all at the same time then we'll grow them all at the same time blah 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 but that doesn't make for good habitats or particularly good biodiversity yeah. um and i like the way it said in the book that obviously if you've got like a massive woodland and you were sensitively managing it for wildlife instead of for timber production then through natural occurrences you would end up in a mixed age mixed mm-hmm. canopy um situation because storms would hit a bit of it or a particular disease would affect this swathe of trees or whatever but if you're working if you've just got a small woodland which i'm sure most people listen to this are you know it's the case that then you have to take more of an active role in creating the extraction diverse oh so i was reading read reading the bit that was saying that like in terms of timber production the extraction is a thousand times harder because you're not going clear cut lift it all out it's Mm -hmm. like that tree it's down the bottom of the hill like yeah. like we've got so much more biodiversity in terms of deadwood at the bottom of the hill than the top because i cannot be asked to bring oh, all that got loads up here now and that is a thing that's happened in the last couple of years and again through just mm. occurrences you know the reason we've got loads of piles of brash and like dead hedges and timber piles is through trees dying and needing their top chopped off or storms happening and there being a lot of branches up here and that's really good. And you can literally see the effect of it, can't you? And robins and wrens literally land mm. on the dead hedges and hop around in them. And they well, we didn't used to be there. And I'm sure, because we've had bird feeders. That's what I was going to say, yeah. So we did bird feeders. And we're like, okay, we're going to make the decision. Because 
again, so that's a controversial thing. Yeah. Some people yeah. say don't feed wild birds. You know, you're artificially propping up a, a population that wouldn't otherwise exist and you're not helping them to be resilient and you might be yeah. feeding the wrong food and all the rest of it. Um, we've gone down the route of going, no, we are going to support them because of farming practices and everything around here. We're in a rural area, but farming practices at the moment for a lot of species are not really helping them out. So we're going to proactively help them out. Try and balance the scales. Yeah. But um, we, when we first put them up, and we did put them up down the hill because we thought they would be more popular because it's quieter down the hill. And then we could go and sit It's away from the centre, isn't it? Yeah, it's away, away from, from the, the hub. Camp. And they just never got used. They were just full the whole time. Didn't even get broken into by squirrels or crows or anything. And then over... I reckon they've been up for about a year now, yeah. and we moved them to main camp, and now they're just and they are lit, and they easy. are. One of them is hanging over the benches in our parachute, yeah, and it's just and nut hatches hanging upside down on them all the time. All the time, it's and it's been. I've found it as a squirrel on top of the shelter. Um, I've found it a much more valuable experience for the group. You know, I thought being further away, and then that teaches them. A bit of a like, you know, the anim- the wildlife needs a bit of space, and like, if we want to go and watch, we've got to go down and be respectful and do all this stuff. But actually, they've got so much more out of them being right here, and maybe because the squirrels also like coming in after a toddler group and going, "Oh, lovely! All the crumbs and everybody's dropped everything. What's this flapjack? Mm, I'll have this and everything." You know. Um, but I think it's it's definitely helped. Like we and again, sit spots is something that we've tried to do with children. You know, since word goes, like, right, we're going to take yeah. this map and go off and find a place by yourself and just, like, be. And and, and try to sell it through different ways. Sometimes yeah, hippy-dippy, sometimes, like, right, we're going to do this, guys, just like, listen. Listen, or go and watch, or go and just think about something. Think about think about the state of your life. Um, <laughs> 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 I, I feel like we I'm seven! <laughs> I feel like we did yeah, But what have you achieved? Mozart was on tour by now. <laughs> Okay, stay on track. Um, but yes, we did sit spots. So I really want to try again. So we did it this week and it bloody worked. But I wonder if that is because they already feel like it's not so abstract to them, the concept of, you know, there are birds that live here. Well, they know they can see them and they can see the different types and they're amazed by it. And we've got one child in particular who's really, really into the birds. And she um, often goes off by herself I don't know if she's talked to you about this but she goes off by herself she'll be in the middle of a game with somebody a role play game and then she'll just sort of go and then the people that she's playing with go to me have you seen have you seen so and so and I'm like um no how long is it you know immediately like how long is it was she upset when you last saw her what happened what happened and you always find she comes back and she's like I just saw the birds and they sang me a song and then I sang to them and it made them closer (laughs) and she's just got this amazing relationship with the birds and her singing to them and them singing to her and I wonder if that started when we put the bird feeders up here where it's just such a less abstract idea for children to to grasp because they've been able to see them up close yeah and we did sit spots and they um and we just talked about like looking first of all at the soil and looking at the ground without digging a massive hole to see if you can see any creatures in the ground and then looking at the plant field layer and then looking at kind of mid-story and then look up and um, and it did take ages for the birds to get used to us being there. But by the time you called us back with the flute, mm-hmm. the birds had got used to it and come quite close. Mm. It really worked. And they all came back buzzing, didn't they? I, was, oh, I saw this, I saw this. Yeah. yeah, it was very, very successful in terms of 
providing an opportunity for nature connection. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I also just want to touch on, if we're talking about, you know, winterizing and um, this being the opportunity for management, going back to what I was talking about earlier about being like, you've got to get your base right, you've got to get your foundation right, um, and thinking about soil and fungi and uh, like mini beasts is one that people, I think... Um, mini beasts for a lot of sites or a lot of particularly like well-managed and um, well-manicured sites. It's like, we've got the bug hotel, mm. it's here. Um, and not necessarily thinking about the, if you want to maintain a population of anything that preys on mini beasts, not to mention the fact that mini beasts are incredible in their own right. Mm. Um, but that like, that's actually such a small example. Oh, can we talk about just because we've got onto insects? Um, do you remember the bit oh, in the oh, insects? Insects. Just because we're on the internet. We're on the internet. No, we're talking into my phone. Um, uh, the bit in the wild gardener. Oh, the bees. The bees. So um, he is making these bird bee, bee boxes for masonry bees, and they're incredible. And they've got perspex on the side, and you can see them. All. It's lovely. And then he's talking to his bee guy. Um, and they're talking, and he was saying, in a and he, in very earnest way, he was like, should I be getting, I was thinking about getting a hive. I was thinking about getting a, um, a bee box or a log hive or whatever else. And this guy just goes, it's not really much point. He said, honeybees are, are one of the only types of bees that aren't endangered. Is at any point in time, three trillion of them. Um, it's either in the country or in the world or something. Um, but he said, what's endangered is the wild bees. What well, That's the bit that's endangered. And he said, if you're putting up a beehive, it's the equivalent of saying, I would like there to be more songbirds, so I'm going to keep chickens. Mm. He says, Be honeybees are at this point basically a domesticated animal. Mm. Um, and that is a, such a great way of explaining that relationship. And, and also kind of, I think that would be a really good way to explain to a group that like, yes, honeybees are important. They play a role. They're excellent pollinators. Um, but actually that's not who needs help right now. And so how can we help those species of bee that are less, um, yeah, because their habitat is being destroyed. All the yeah. Time. Yeah. The, yeah. At the perspex side. So you could actually see them was amazing. Wasn't oh it? yeah. Um, and what I thought was really lovely is in this show, so he's got the perspex, so he's got sort of grooves cut into pieces of wood and then perspex on it. So you can see the the larvae being laid in each one. Um, and then, I mean, I don't know whether this is a good, good practice or not, but he opens the side and he takes them all out of these larvae and he's got them in his hand and they look like, um, like big wood lice to my eyes, you know, sort of the size of a peanut M&M. Um, and then... He gets them all out and he leaves them on like a table and lets the sun sort of hit them and warm them up. And that then wakes. So all these bees wake up at the same time and come out of their cocoons. And I just thought, oh, what a great thing that could be to do with a group to go, right, look, these are, they're all asleep, but they're going to slowly wake up this morning. Amazing. And that's so much more exciting and more accessible i think and he was saying that the males don't sting and just that they you know i went for a walk 
um, in the spring near me and there's, um, so it's woodland and it had all been clear cut a few years ago and they'd made new paths and you see that like destruction and you go, oh God, this is just hell. And then over time you get used to it and then the wildlife gets used to it and this path, this track that had been created is on a south facing hill. Oh, wow. I think it's south facing. Hang on. Uh, ish yeah. and then uh, and it's very sandy because the hill I live on used to be underwater so there's there's sea fossils wow. in the ground even though it's a really high hill yeah. and there's sand and it's like there's a bit which is probably like a beach and the kids sit on it and play in the sand um, but I was like what are all these little piles of, of sand mm. all the way along and it was mason bees like digging out yeah. and laying their eggs in there and it was just obviously exactly the right day exactly the right temperature wind was blowing in the right direction or there was no wind or whatever and all these little volcanoes of soil it was amazing just loads of them uh i'm gonna put you on the spot here slightly um i would like to so for my like it's not a solstice maybe a new year's resolution i would like to uh increase our bat bat box and bird box sort of proliferation in the woods because we don't have any bat boxes um, but did you read the bit in the book that said, that's again, it's like that thing, oh yeah, it's definitely a good thing to do. We are humans and we should do these things. But in the book, it's like, well, it's not always great to put up nest boxes, which I'd mm. never thought about before. And it said, look at your site. And if you've already got quite a lot of trees with holes in, with cracks in, all this kind of stuff, then you probably don't need any bird boxes or bat boxes. It's unnecessary. Mm. And by putting too many bird boxes in, then you are artificially inflating the population of blue tits and mm. other hole-dwelling birds, hole-nesting mm. birds, which means that they will um, outcompete the rarer birds right. that would naturally also, you know, live in the kind of more natural environment. Mm. Oh, didn't, didn't think of that. So it's a bit of a survey before we do. But it said in a young woodland, absolutely put nest boxes in because the trees aren't old enough to have all those, like, no. gnarly bits that make happen. We will have over there. So we've got one, two, three... Well, three artificially done, four artificially done, uh, and one naturally done. Con- conet, conneted trees. Oh, coronet. Coronet. coronet cut. Coronet cut, which is where they make it janky on purpose. They make it janky to replicate like a wind snap, um, and also, as as Ben, our lovely tree surgeon, has come down the tree, he's like gashed into it and cut mm. chunks out. Not in a not big chunks, but like, um, you know, to provide basically a vertical habitat for all these things. Um, I would love to be able to do a survey on those trees as we go through the year or the years to see when they're supporting different things. Yeah, and presumably fungi is going to move into those cut Mm. gashes as well. It's going to allow a lot of stuff to go in there. Lovely jubbly. Yeah. I'm getting cold. Okay. Lovely. Lovely. Happy Christmas. Bye! Applications for forest school training are now open at childrenofthefores.com.